So good to be back in Austin. And uh, so good to be here with you. I go, I go back to Australia after being here for nearly a month. Uh, my mama has moved to heaven. And so um, I came and spent some really beautiful time with my dad and uh, just had a lovely time. And then my, uh, my mother's memorial was on the 20, when was it? The 22nd? I think it was the first day of autumn. She loved autumn. And so um, I leave on Monday to go back to Australia. So this is my, this is my exit door. And I think it's so good. You know, the Bible says you're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. And so this is the reason I'm so blessed going out is because I get to be with you. I get to be with my brother and his gorgeous wife on their anniversary. I remember when they got married. And, and, so, and so it's just so good to be with them. It's so good to be with you. Good to be with friends. So uh, I'm happy you're here today. And I got the cup. Who else got cups? That was quite an exercise, wasn't it? Yay. Well, all right. Well, um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, wonderful time together. And we are so glad that you're here. Your presence makes everything really, really worthwhile. We can have a great time together. But when you're there... You make everything better. You make everything worthwhile. You give purpose to everything. You always have something to say, and you always have something to give, and it's always life. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the things of God. So. We give you thanks before we even hear it. Like we give thanks before we eat. We give you thanks now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At the beginning of this year, you know how um, it isn't that God only talks in January. He talks any time that we'll draw near and talk to him. But a lot of times people really draw near, they take a little bit of time out, they unplug from other influences, and they, they turn their face to him. And you know, he said, if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. So um, I, I like to seek him all through the year, but there was something that I got at the beginning of the year that I was reminded of um, when I was praying about you. And so I wanted to go back over this because it really impacted me. And um, one thing that I love about what we believe and not only what we believe, who we believe. And Paul said this. He said, I know who I have believed. And so it isn't just being indoctrinated in a, in a religion. It is actually becoming involved and interactive with God himself. And we didn't have that privilege until Jesus. But now that we do have that privilege, it's just ungrateful and not good manners to take him up on it. You know what I mean? So we want to come boldly before the throne of grace. And um, 
one thing that I love about the Bible and, and being having time with my dad and going over memories, memories, lots and lots of memories, was we were always raised with Bible stories. And, um, and there were, you know, there's the nursery stories, the nursery rhymes, and the children's stories and all. But I, uh, those Bible stories of Bible characters really stuck and uh, have impacted my life. And they're, they're real life people. It's not fictional. It's not made up. It's not, you know, you know, just uh, a fairy tale. It's real life. And so it's easier to identify with these people because they actually lived and breathed and they, and they experienced life. And so uh, the Bible is full of um, not just uh, not not just lovely things. It it actually is full of crisis stories. It's jam packed from the beginning. There's there's amazing crisis and tension and impossibilities. But because there is, uh, the Bible uh, is not a disaster book. Uh, those crises are followed up with miracles. But the miracles didn't just happen. They came to straighten up a crisis. So a lot of times we love to see the miracle hand of God and God's intervention, but he actually has to have something terrible to work with. <laughs> Anybody have some wonderful miracle material? Woohoo! Or you know somebody in your life, you know, we need some help from God here, you know. So the Bible is so full of uh, these miracle, these gorgeous miracle stories. And so uh, I'm going to read to you what I got then at the beginning of the year. There is a general sense that things in the world, which we are women in the world in this season. We're not just in another season. We're the folk alive right now. So here, a general sense that things in the world are going to continue getting worse. Don't worry, it's going to get better before the end of the time. They're going to continue getting worse as operations in the kingdom of darkness across the nations collaborate more. <clears throat> and he had told me back in 2020 that there is a where there there's been different things in different parts of the world, different operations that have been evil. Uh, that as we get closer to the end of time, those different operations are moving closer together and working like gears. They'll work together, and so uh, things that are going on in other nations. Uh, impact us. Uh, things that are, are happening in places that we didn't used to be so aware of are impacting us. And we are impacting other places. And so um, at the same time, this is the good part, at the same time, more and more in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to become less obsessed with what is going on in the kingdom of darkness and more and more impressed with what they see and what they're seeing and hearing in the presence of God. Hallelujah. 
and our faces and our our um, attitudes reflect what we're looking at. And so if we're totally plugged in to everything heinous going on in the world, we're going to be really grim women. And then we raise children that are apprehensive. But if our faces aren't looking at that, I love what the scripture says. They looked to him and their faces were lightened and they were not ashamed. And so our faces reflect what we're looking at. And I believe as we continue going on that we are marching to a beat of a different drummer and hearing a different voice. And it is a voice that is not full of doom and full of gloom. It's full of love and full of life and full of faith. And so it makes a difference. Now, um, I'll keep reading. We look like what we look at. Ouch. We look like what we look at. And so our, our countenance is actually mirroring what we're looking at. So it's a really a heads up. Um, yeah, what are we looking at? As we look more and more at him, we will represent him more and more gloriously. Just as, and this was at the beginning of, of the year in Australia where we were locked down forever, it seemed. Uh, just as COVID is contagious in the natural, the holy zeal for God in this time will also spread through words and our very presence. I like that. Now, this is the part I wanted to get to. The Italian word for supernatural is soprannaturale. Kim mentioned that we lived in, in Italy for nine years, and, and so I like that word. Soprannaturale, uh, supernatural means it's just, it just adds super to the natural. But soprannaturale means it's over the natural. So in other words, if you were picturing it, this would be natural. This would be soprannaturale, over the top, which I really liked. And I got that word in his presence. It literally means over and above the natural. And so, uh, so God wants us to work with him, and that is a soprannaturale life. It's over the natural. I got a picture one time of uh, what it was like to, uh, to go upstream, and, and, you know, I would go and visit my, my grandparents in Buena Vista, Colorado. It's a very very high in the mountains. And um, we, would, uh, we would wade through creeks. We called them creeks or cricks. And what you could do at this time of the year, you could do in August or maybe late July. You wouldn't want to do it in, in uh, March, April, May, because we wouldn't see you ever again. <laughs> Except we might see you in the Gulf of Mexico someplace as the water carried you down because it's, it's quite, it's quite uh, rambunctious, that water is. But I remember what it was like to try to wade upstream with this water coming down. 
and remember the force of the water coming against me. And um, I think the Lord reminded me of this because he said, what believers in Jesus are sometimes tempted to do is to try to walk upstream from the current of what's happening in the world. The, the moral rot or, you know, just the awful stuff that's going, crazy stuff, things we could have never believed but are happening, and that we're called to walk upstream. That seems, that seems like that's a noble thing to do. I'll, t I'll put it down here because uh, this is where it is, that, that we're, as believers in Jesus, Christian people, that we're meant to put all of our effort to keep going upstream and not be tempted to turn around and then just, you know, just float downstream with whatever the current is. That seems like a good thing. He said, we're not called to move against the current. We're called to live above the current. I like that. There's a life that is above the current that actually acknowledges that there is a God. This says, this says, I believe in right, I'm against wrong, and I am going to do the right thing. That sounds good. This says, without him, I can do nothing. It isn't about me and my goodness. This is about God and his goodness. This is about my willpower and doing right. This is about me trusting him and allowing him to show his goodness through me. Down there, it's a testimony of my goodness. Living above is a testimony to his. Which one do we want? Well, one is natural and good. Up here is sopranaturale. This is where there are miracles. This is where there's divine intervention. And I believe God wants us to live here. Um, it was 29 years ago last month that, uh, well, no, it was in August, so a month and a half ago, that my husband and I moved with a three-month-old baby to Sicily. And, uh, and so we've lived outside of the States now for 29 years. And um, I still remember that. Oh, my goodness, it was amazing. And I had been teaching for a number of years, quite a number of years before leaving, and I had developed different um, courses, uh, Bible studies, and different things. And I had different examples that had cooked here. Um, I'm talking about here in America. And um, specifically, uh, mostly in Oklahoma or in different places like that. So... Um, when I got there, you know, I was a, a young mother, and I was just still using those teaching. And, 
and uh, it helped. It helped that I had not gotten married until I was 31 years old, uh, so that I had had all of those years that I could just really plunge into study and give hours and hours to that. Because once I was a young mother, then you know I didn't have that kind of time. Well. I can't remember exactly where it was, but I was using an example of uh, the Word of God in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, that he has, he has um, given us an armor, and he told us to put it on, and then he gave us a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then Paul told the church in Corinth that we have spiritual weapons, supernatural and spiritual weapons, because the weapons of our warfare aren't natural. They're not bullets and they're not knives. They're, um, they're supernatural or they're spiritual weapons. And as an example of that, I would give um, the fact that um, I was shooting my twenty-two. At which in Texas, it's like no big deal. And my 22, and um, and that I had gotten my hunter safety, I'd passed my hunter safety course in the fifth grade, like all good red-blooded American girls do, <laughs> and uh, gotten my hunter safety. I I uh, did pass by one point. <laughs> I didn't do very good, but. I had such a good, and my dad, you know, being from Colorado, uh, they hunted every year, and we ate elk. So it was just a part of our, our growing up. It was not a big deal. But when I used that example in Italy, and, and then Singapore, where they you will hang for ever using a gun there, they're, you know, they were just like, you know, checking to see w the location of where this was, that they went to the wrong place or something. Where are we? Where, what is this? And it just dawned on me over a period of time because it kept happening whenever I would, I didn't use it often, but whenever I'd use that, I would just see shock and horror on people's faces just be unbelief. And so the 29 years that I have lived outside of, of the States, I've um, only the States are the States, you know. Um, nobody has guns like we have guns. <laughs> I mean it. Whoa. So Italy for sure not. Singapore, if you do, and then Australia, also not, not unless you're a, a farmer, you know. And um, so I, I was back here visiting one time, <laughs> and we have some guys that have grown up in my dad's church that are, they, uh, they teach people how to defend themselves uh, with a firearm, and, you know, and they, um, they help equip people with license and da 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 and so I was with them and the the one of the wives took out of her purse um, a pistol and uh, 
the handle of the pistol was pink. Just the cutest little gun ever. A little pink, pink-handled pistol. And I thought, every, every woman needs a pink pistol. <laughs> Probably with some bling on it. Anyway, I just thought that was the funniest thing. And when I've told people in Australia, you know, that there are pink-handled pistols, they just, their jaws just drop. You're kidding. You're just absolutely kidding. Okay. So I'm, when we're talking about weapons, um, we have all different kinds of concepts. We have different, different ways and um when we're talking about the weapons that the Bible talks about, it, it isn't any of these natural weapons. It isn't any of them. They're supernatural weapons. Supernatural weapons. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's amazing. So that all is fine. That's all is fine. We're not talking about that, though. We're talking about supernatural weapons for pistol-packing mamas. I mean, supernatural weapons for us. And um, they're actually for men, too. But I, I really believe that what God wants us to see in this first session and then the next one, he wants to really equip us so that we're not left unarmed in this really crazy and getting crazier world, it isn't, it isn't wise to be um, unarmed or without protection. And so he's given us something that will definitely help us. So if you'll, if you'll look at a scripture with me, if you did bring your Bible or they'll put it up here, in... 2 Corinthians, I mentioned this one, but I'd like us to look at it together. 2 Corinthians 10, we'll do verse 1 and verse 3 and 4. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Now, I know that there are wars that have to be waged, you know, that are natural wars that, and use natural guns and different weapons. But Paul wasn't talking to the church about that. He was talking about something different. And he said, we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So there can be different wars and stuff going on in the Ukraine and, and different places in the world, but there can be real wars going on in your house, real wars going on in, in relationships that you have, wars going on. In your own head, <laughs> there can be really some wars going on in, in other people's heads that you love. 
And when that happens, what do you do? A gun doesn't fix it. A knife doesn't fix it. And martial arts don't fix it. But there are ways that we can become proficient and tools that we can become proficient with that um, can change things around. And this says that it destroys wrong thinking. These particular weapons destroy wrong thinking and reasonings. And so, of course, we know from, from the scripture that I mentioned in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, that the word of God is a weapon. And so it's not just what we hear somebody else say. It's the word that God says. We can actually say those things and become proficient with it. When I was learning to shoot um, that 22 rifle, I think uh, I remember one time Daddy took us out. Steve was shooting a bigger gun. and uh, But I was just, Daddy left me at the car with a box of 50, 22 shells for this um, 22 rifle. And I, <laughs> I had such a good time. I had a, a, a target and this box of 22 shells in my gun. And by the time I shot the whole box, there was no sign that I had shot anything. <laughs> it had made noise, but it didn't make any, it didn't make any mark. And so I think sometimes that when this thing shoots, you really want to get good with your words so that you're actually hitting something and making a difference. So getting used to using the word of God and, um, and the way that you get better at any kind of tool or weapon is through use and through practice. And so we, um, we want to continue. But I'm not going to talk about using the word of God today. Not going to talk about, I'm going to talk about using um, what I believe are secret weapons. Now, I've always, since I was little, I've always thought it would be fun to be a spy. Even as late as this particular trip over, a lot of times if I'll go into the, into the bathroom in an airport, I'll think, I wonder what kind of disguise I could put on so that they wouldn't recognize me when I come out. I think weird things. I, I, I'm thinking about how I could disguise myself, how I could change my voice, how I could walk or something, you know, that they wouldn't, uh, that I could. And um, uh, I, I, like, I like spy stuff. And I like cool um, weapons that are, that look like pins, only it's, a, it's not, or it's a, or secret glasses that have, you know, you can see behind, or and um, special equipment that our special forces have that enable them to see through walls and their heat seeking. You know, they, I mean, you know, they define human shape, and I love that kind of stuff. And uh, but in our weaponry. We also have some cool stuff that looks like, uh, you know, 
you know, how some, a woman could have a brooch here, but actually it shoots poisonous gas and puts people out in the room or something. You know, that kind of a thing. Or it looks like a string of pearls, but actually it is, um, you know, it is a um, something that is really far stronger than that and can bolt a door together. And it just looks like, I like that. But in God, we've got some secret weapons. So I'm going to name them. And these secret weapons are for unconventional warfare. I had to look that up. Unconventional warfare, does it means not the obvious kind of warfare. Not obvious. Um, and I will uh, give you some defini definitions from the dictionary on this. Are you guys ready? It says, warfare that is conducted within the enemy lines through guerrilla tactics and subversion, usually supported at least in part by external forces. Let me read uh, the second one. Definition, a member of a band of irregular soldiers that use guerrilla warfare, harassing the enemy by surprise raids, sabotaging communication and supply lines. And so then I had to look up guerrilla warfare, uh, just so that I would know exactly what that was. It is the use of hit-and-run tactics by small mobile groups of irregular forces operating in territory controlled by hostile regular force. So this is what I'm picturing. There are places that we expect to see God do wonderful things. We expect to see God do uh, uh, and manifest his power, you know, and people get prayed for and healing when we come to church. This is a place where we expect it. That's not guerrilla warfare. Guerrilla warfare is all of us going out there where there is some ugly things and using supernatural weapons and surprise attacks, we're irregular. We don't look like the preacher. We don't look like we don't have reverend before our name or we don't have any of that. We're irregular soldiers and we can show up anywhere with surprise attacks and we can sabotage the works of the enemy. I'm into that. I'm into that. That works with schools. That works with um, places of business. That, that just works everywhere and anywhere. It works. So uh, we're going to look at some things that these secret weapons look like and see if to you they seem camouflaged. Are you ready? Go to Galatians, the, the fifth chapter in verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And here come the weapons. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering or patience. Kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law 
against these things. I'm not talking about against these, like thou shalt not love, thou shalt not have joy. It's not that kind of law. There is a law that Romans tells us about that is a law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death can't work against these things. The law of sin and death is what works in the world and through people who are against God. But these weapons have no, no resistance from that law. Why? Because it, it looks like powder puff. It looks like pearls. It looks so pretty. It looks so nice. But it is deadly. <laughs> Hallelujah. Somebody yelling the word and preaching the word and being real strong, you know, you, you mark those out and you think, okay, got that. But some woman with a, a teacup smiling when there is meanness coming at her and she knows how to harness her tongue and reel it back in her mouth instead of slapping somebody with her tongue after they've, she's been slapped by somebody else's and she just gives love. And joy in a place where there is dismal depression and you can just feel it. Rather than coming in underneath that thing, getting down underneath it and trying to make your way. No, no, no. Rise above it. I have to be obnoxious. But we're not getting under that thing. We're going to keep our joy. And that joy releases life. And spiritually speaking, it is a part of a guerrilla warfare tactic. When you get good at these weapons, he will, I'm talking about the Lord, will send us into places that need fixed. Sometimes we love to be into places where it's just so wonderful. Everybody loves us. I have such favor. I have such favor. And everything is just such a wonderful work environment. My house, my home is just such a wonderful environment. But I tell you what. You get good at these weapons and he'll send you to places that are crooked that need straightened. Would we like to be an agent for him? I don't know. I still want those nice places. Yeah, I, I like the nice places too. But what is wonderful is that we can work together with Jesus. Think about how it was when God sent him to earth on his mission. It wasn't because everything on earth was so wonderful. And Jesus said, oh, it's great down here, God. My father is just so wonderful. I'd just like to stay down here forever. No, he, he was sent down here to a place that was terrible. There were, there were, no, there were no believers. He was the first son. 
But somebody had to come. Somebody needs to go. I, I believe that he is rallying um, his, his own. The Lord is rallying his own to not be to not be in the world or to be in the world but not of it to live above it praise the lord so let's look at that love joy peace he send you into a place where there is no peace to be able to produce it how good is that love joy peace patience Patience. Oh, wow. Whatever is the opposite of patient. Have, do you know what the opposite looks like? Have you ever looked like the opposite of patient? Patient. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Gentleness. And so where there is harshness that just send you in there, just quail it. Just calm it down. Not be a part of the chaos, not to contribute to the chaos, gentleness. So sometimes I think we have, because of our, um, maybe our culture, we meet force with force, strength with strength, volume with more volume, give it, make it stronger. But actually, this is secret strength. It's not obvious strength. And the devil cannot withstand it. Praise the name of the Lord. I'll, I'll tell you a story that I like. Um, there are other ones, but this morning when I was thinking about this, I thought, no, oh, I like this story. I'm going to give this one, this example. My sister, maybe I've, I even have told that, this story here, I don't know. But my oldest sister, Liddell, married an only son and an only child. It wasn't just an only son. He was an only child. And he was born in his mother's 40s. She had uh, long since given up and, but always desired a child. So when Snow, his name is Snow Peabody, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, when Snow was born, he was, he was truly like a gift to her. And um, she just adored him so. And um, he grew up and just an amazing young man. And he still is an amazing man. And, um, but anyway, there was not a, a woman anywhere on the planet that could have ever been good enough for Snow Peabody. But my sister gave it a go <laughs> and married him. And when she did, she became the arch enemy of her mother-in-law. And she was absolutely loathed. Loathed with perfect loathing. It was terrible. And so um, it didn't better over years. It got worse. And uh, Liddell would give her gifts, and she would break them. 
Sometimes she would throw them back at her. I mean, it was, it was ugly. And we never knew any of these things because Liddell never told us. And um, she, but she kept on giving. Um, her children were taken out of um, the grandmother's will because, no, the Liddell, her own son was taken out of her, uh, out of her will to make sure Liddell didn't get anything. It was amazing. I can't remember all the details, but um, you know this woman. Um, you'd think that maybe dementia could be a friend, you know. <laughs> that maybe she would have forget who she hated. You know, maybe because her mother-in-law was living into her 80s and then into her 90s. But no, no such luck. She kept sharp-minded. She knew exactly who she hated as a very old woman. And it was just terrible. But all of this time, Latell kept using these secret weapons, these secret weapons. And I wouldn't have brought up this story if it had a bad ending. But be, uh, I think it was like two or three years before she finally went to Jesus. <laughs> she was w well up in her 90s. But the, the constant barrage of these secret weapons on what was wrong in her head. Because it says that they break down strongholds in wrong reasoning. The other weapons that we have, the, the blood of Jesus, the, the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, which are supernatural explosive weapons and then we have the word of God it's a sword it's against the enemy but what do you do against people how do you fight people without you getting in the flesh how do you fight the stupid lies going on in somebody's head about each other or about you or about whatever. How do you fight what's in here? It's They're not a demon. Have you ever wanted to cast someone out? <laughs> I think I like to bind you. I'm not talking about the devil. I'm talking about you, my child. <laughs> okay, you know, that kind of a deal. What do you do? And God's given us secret weapons that actually work on people. Love isn't for the devil. Joy isn't for the devil. Peace. But these gifts, these fruits, work on people. So my sister, she prayed and kept operating in these fruit 
and it broke through that stronghold in her mother-in-law's life. And to the degree that her mother previously loathed her, she came to love her. I mean, love her with a passion that she would weep and just hold her and just, just weep. So who won? Who won that fight? They both did. Her mother-in-law won. And Liddell won. And everybody in the whole family won <laughs> when this woman was set free from the wrong things in her head. Resistance against her, arguing with her, battering her, would have only enforced the stronghold. But love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, against such there is no law. Now, what I'm sure you noticed in this story, it didn't break through in two days. Don't you just hate that? But the thing about it is, it, it actually was some years. And then I was thinking of this parade of examples that marched across my memory this morning of examples of other people who have become proficient in the fruit of the Spirit and their use and how they've brought people into freedom and it's brought harmony in people's lives, brought people... Oh, it's just beautiful. And a lot of those stories, it is the perpetual use of these fruit that causes them to be effective. I'm saying perpetual. I'm not saying an annual use. On a certain day, I walked in love. <laughs> there was one day two years ago that I had joy. I remember when I one time for a whole season had peace. No. It's a perpetual fruit in our life. And I'll tell you that, it is impossible to do it without a personal connection with Jesus Christ. These are his personality traits that it isn't just you saying, I need to be a better person. You know, I need to be more loving. I need to be more kind. I need to be more resilient. This is, you cannot get in a um, self-help program. This isn't self-help. It is exactly opposite from self-help. It is like, Jesus, help. <laughs> he helps. And the whole idea is, it's no longer I, like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, the good personality traits, the love, the joy, the peace, those aren't your natural personality. They, they may be, you may be a gregarious person. But your gregariousness doesn't change somebody's life. His does. So we plug into him. 
uh, when we, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to do that. But I want to just say this much. Um, going back up to Colorado then, and we looked at these creeks again. I, I love it. It's just a part of, of um, nature that calibrates me. I love to look at it. But these creeks are perpetual in their flowing. If you were to stand at the bank of a creek, they're just perpetual in their flowing. It's not like uh, having to pull something out of the water, out of a well or anything. They're just the reason why water keeps going that way, listen to this, is because it keeps coming this way. If it ever quit coming, it would also quit going. What does that mean? If you're not having something come in from Jesus Christ and receiving something on purpose from him, it, it's not going to come out. If somebody's mean to you, you will be mean back. If they talk bad about you, you're going to talk bad about them. If somebody is sad around you, you'll come under that thing of, of, of depression. If somebody isn't giving you what it is that you are looking for to make yourself feel better or to feel secure, then you'll feel, you'll feel depleted and sad. But if you're getting supplied from something that is not from this world, if you're getting supplied from something not from anybody in your life, even if they're lovely people, they're not God. <laughs> Have a wonderful husband, but he's not God. You know how to get these wonderful things from God. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world because it is going to get worse. But what you'll do, rather than looking for something in the world to help make you okay, you'll start giving something rather than being a taker at your workplace, a taker in your home, a taker in your environment, you become a giver, a giver, a giver, a giver, a giver. And when people give you the worst, you just keep giving. Because isn't that the way he gives? Hallelujah. Praise him. Isn't he, isn't he good? We sang about his goodness, and we'll, um, I'd like to um, just pray for, for you in just a moment, and then we're going to have some go on with today's program. But uh, we talked about his goodness, his goodness. But do you know what Jesus said about his goodness, his own goodness? Somebody came up to him, and they said, called him a good master, good master. And he said, he said, don't call me good. There is no one good but God. What did he mean by that? Was Jesus not being good? Jesus was being good. That's why somebody said good master. But what Jesus was saying, whatever you're seeing about me that's good didn't originate in me. 
It's not just my personality. It's him. He said, there is one that's good, and that is God. Hallelujah. And we get to be conduits of his goodness. You know what I like about that song? It says, his, your goodness is running after. It's running after me. It would be so wonderful that his goodness to people who aren't being good would run after them through us. Father, I'm praying for every single one of us, every single one of us, that we would live in our potential, which is, yeah, in this world, but not of it. Giving to people in this world, but not requiring from this world what makes us happy. Father, I'm praying that there would be a, a transfer of where we're plugged into and what we're plugged into. I'm asking you that for every single one that whose eyes or hearts or souls are looking towards some person, are looking towards something to give joy, to give peace, that there would be a lifting up of our eyes today and our affections today to one who will never disappoint, never stop giving. You always give. You're the ever-living fountain. Help us to look away. I pray, Father, for those that have been disappointed, have been saddened, disillusioned by things, by people, by things they were expecting and it didn't come to pass as it should. I'm asking you, Father, that there will be a looking away from all of those things that have caused their heart to be sad or even embittered. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Yeah, let's sing. Praise God. Isn't this nice to be together? Um, I think, you know, during, there's been some amazing discoveries that are made uh, during times of difficulty or hardship and great inventions are made and, and like I said, the word discoveries are made during times of hardship. And so uh, hardship isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. It's actually um, losing hope and, and then uh, doubt, doubting God. That's the worst thing because nothing is impossible to what? To him that believes. And so uh, a lot of times difficulty and hardship targets your, your believing and your trust in God. Because if you, if you keep that, nothing's impossible. And you're ripe for miracles. Um, but during, during this, these last two years, you know, and living over on the other side of the world and uh, it being so isolated and 
um, yeah, forbidden, uh, forbidden. You couldn't go anywhere. And um, what we discovered, there's that word, is that there are other ways that you and I connect. Yeah. And so one of the ways that we connect that we never want to neglect is the opportunity to meet and get together physically. Because there is something dynamic that happens when we're in the same room. The same natural room. But there are times you can get together in the same natural room and you're not there in your heart. You know that. You can have six people in the living room all sitting around and every one of them are on a device or they're someplace else. Their carcass is on the couch, but that's the only thing that's there. The, everything else is somewhere else. So it does count that we're in the same room, but we have to be actually together. But if we're ever in a situation, I want you to mark these words. If you're ever in a situation where you can't be, and when you can be, celebrate it and be. But when you're ever in a situation where you can't be, there's always the realm of the spirit. And I tell you what, you discover that you can meet up with people at the throne. That it isn't a cliche. Let's all just draw near to the throne of God. Well, do you know that when you're the closest to him, that you're the closest to one another? Think about it. You know, right now, everybody's looking at me. <laughs> but there are other people closer to you. I mean, you know, you're all close around the same table. And around the throne of God, we draw near to him. But when you draw near to him, get this, you draw near to each other. So when you're ever meeting together in the same place, and if you're really in that same place, not just carcass-wise, but you're, you come with your heart, you end up getting close to one another. And whoever you share throne room time with, you develop a kindredness and a closeness that even if you can't be together down here, I mean, you know, geographically, you're so close. You're so close. It's that closeness that the devil hates. It's that closeness that shifts things in the natural realm. So I want to encourage you. You know, I love this bloom thing. A single bloom is a beautiful thing. But when you get a, a bloom that is in a bouquet, when you're all together, the, the combustion of color and fragrance is just amplified. Celebrate the times you can be together physically. But make sure that it isn't just a physical gathering. Make sure, and the way that you do that isn't just by being sweet and nice to one another. The way that you do that is literally everyone draw near to him and you find each other. Then you look at each other and you like each other more. 
I mean, even if you did like each other before, but honestly, in the, in the sweetness of his presence, when you look at one another, you see, you see why he loves you. But he, you also see why he loves the person sitting beside you, too. You just think, you are amazing. And in that love, value heightens. And whatever you value, you will fight for. If something isn't valuable, it's like take it or leave it, like a dirty Kleenex. You wouldn't fight for it. But you're, you know, a, a nice piece of jewelry or something, you would. Your child, yeah, you'll fight for that. Remember, though, that the highest potential of a believer is the fight of faith or the fight that's in the spirit. And so, watch out for things that make you mad and angry because they will ground you. They will put you in the natural. So, if you're watching something that starts making you mad, check your heart. And if you need to turn it off, turn it off because you don't want to lose your highest potential of effectiveness, and that's here. These fruit of the Spirit just do not work also with the, with the works of the flesh that are also listed right before the fruit. And a number of those works of the flesh are anger-related. Anger-related and gossip-related, like, like putrid words about somebody or about something. And so uh, it, it's a tactic of, of the devil to get uh, amazing people, guerrilla warfare people like you and me that can make a difference in our, in our schools, make a difference in our workplaces, make a difference in our communities. He has to neutralize you, and the only way he can neutralize you is keep you down here and keep you striving in the flesh, and the best you can do is just go against the current. That is not your potential. Your potential as a believer is to be in the sopra naturale, over the natural. Get up, but you can't do it with anger. <laughs> Amen. That I wasn't going to say any of that. But anyway, um, take advantage of the times to be together. I just, I discovered when I couldn't get to people that I knew because they were on the other side of the world. Okay, it's going to be a 30-hour trip anyway. But at least you can go. But now I couldn't even do that. But I found, if I can't get there geographically, just go here. And I have become closer and closer and closer to people at the throne. And the devil can't stop that. There's no legal nothing, pan, whatever, that can stop that. 
you have a direct access to the throne. Let's take advantage of that because then from this place you shift things down here. Don't you reckon we can shift things? I mean, look at you look actually you look really uh, nice. But armed with the right tools, you're quite deadly. You just look like a sweet mother. No one knows how mean you really are. In the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's get good at this stuff before, before Jesus comes. Can we do this? Let's get really good. And you know what helps you to be really good at something is practice. So every time you're given an opportunity, some person gives you an opportunity to be mad. That's your practice time. It actually isn't just the learning, like, you know, or listening to somebody talk about it or reading it in your own Bible. It's the doing of it that makes us blessed. Jesus said, it's the doer of the word. Well, you don't get to do love to people or practice the love walk to people who are patting you on the back and loving you and kissing you on the cheek, telling you how you get to practice love. <laughs> Everything in your flesh wants to claw their eyes out. You know what I mean? And it works with the it works with the opposite of every single one of those fruit. We're not going to go through take time to go through all of them, but there is there is an opposite to joy. There's an opposite to peace. There's an opposite to patience. There's an opposite to gentleness. There's an opposite to all of those things. So anytime you find those conditions, you have the opportunity to use what is coming to you from Jesus. And be the antidote, the antibiotic to something that an, a natural antibiotic can't fix. And we've got it. Praise the Lord. Uh, Kim wanted me to tell this story. Now, this is an example. This is, it, it really helps uh, gatherings like this where believers in Jesus come together. We look at the word. We see what God has to say, but it's not for in here, it's out for out there. And you look at the life of Jesus and literally go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and read it and tally how many things he did in the synagogue or in the temple, because two different things, but anyway, how many things he did there and how many things he did out. Some of your favorite stories are out. The stories of what he did in made people the most mad. <laughs> he got so much in trouble for what he did in church. Because it wasn't the rules. <laughs> but anyway, we learn when we're together like this. And then go do it, go do it, go do it, go do it, go do it. So these are some practical things because 
We need it right now, but we're going to need it more and more as the things get darker. Then you're going to shine brighter. Uh, Kim wanted me to tell this example. I was um, driving to our church, and I stopped at a stop sign, a stoplight, and I was just sitting there. And the woman sit uh, uh, in the car next to me. I looked over there, and she was manifesting a demon at me. I didn't do anything. I was just sitting at the stoplight, and she was too. And she looked up. She was looking at me, and she was, I could tell she was cursing, and she was going, <laughs> like that. And I was like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what are you doing, you weird woman? Anyway, she was just really mean and aggressive. I was glad we were in cars. And so... Um, the, the light turned, thankfully, turned, and she drove on, and I was just stunned. And then I remembered some of the things we're talking about today, and I was actually remembering First John, the fifth chapter and verse 16. And um, I asked God to help her. I remembered Matthew 5, 45, pray for your enemies. What? Well, I didn't know why I was her enemy but and that she was mine, but something was happening. And the Bible says to pray. So I said, Father, I don't know who this girl is or why she's acting this way, but help her. And I have got such compassion on her. It wasn't my, my first response was to go, what's that about? But thank God for the word. Aren't you glad that word just comes right up to you? So I prayed for her all the way to the church. I turned off, and she had gone on. And so sometime later, sometime later, I, was, I took this lady out uh, who had been, uh, she had volunteered to clean the church and had for some, I don't know, three years, something like that. Anyway, she was going into a job, and she wasn't able to. She wasn't able to continue that. So I wanted to just take her out and give her uh, to bless her and just spend some time with her and just say how thankful I was that she had all these years cleaned the church. Well, she had been a student in our Bible school, and um, um, just so so precious and everything. Anyway, so we, got, we were just talking, and she said, you know, when you were teaching in Bible school, you used the example one time about praying for your enemies, about pulling up beside somebody, and they were cursing you and, like, manifesting a demon. I said, yeah. She said, I was that girl. I said, you were? <laughs> she said, yeah. She said, I, on purpose noticed where you turned off, and I saw it was to a church. And she said, something in me said, I want, I want help. I want God. So she came to church, got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, went to Bible school for two years, cleaned the church, and it wasn't some years later, and I found out she was the one 
at the, at the stoplight that I prayed for. What prompted the prayer? A prayer request, would you pray for me, sweet person? No, it was her cursing me. Some people's prayer requests comes to you like insults, meanness, aggravation. And you know what they're saying? Please pray for me. I need help. It works like that. Something that happened this last summer that was kind of interesting. I had, uh, I was down in Kissimmee, Kissimmee, whatever it is. And <clears throat> I had, I, there were two Sunday morning services. I went to the Orlando airport. I was tired. And uh, I was looking for somebody to sit or someplace to sit in the concourse before flying out. We were, we were going to board in, what, 20, 20 minutes or something. I wanted to, to sit, and every place was taken. It was just jammed with people. The only place I could find was a, a planter, a huge planter in the middle of the, of the concourse. It was a little bit lower than this. It, you weren't to sit on it, but there was a place. So I, I got up on there. <laughs> I got up on there, and, um, and I sat down. And this young businessman that was standing right here, um, he said, ah, oh, he said, you kind of have to be athletic to get up there. I said, yeah. He said, what, what are you, maybe in your 30s? And I thought, you're hitting on me. <laughs> and I said, no. I said, I'm 64. And she, he said, no, you're not 64. How could you be, how can you look, you know, and he was going on. So I thought, yeah, you are hitting on me. So I don't know if he was, but anyway, in my flattering myself, I thought, you're hitting on me. <laughs> and he was, he was all that, I think he was about 38 years old. So uh, he said, how, how do you, how do you, anyway. So I said, now, now listen to this. What came up to say wasn't John 3.16. It wasn't John 10.10. 10. It wasn't Romans 3.23. It wasn't Bible verses. It was this. I have a husband that loves me. He loves me so much. He takes good care of me. He started crying. And there's, he, there's people all around. He started crying. Now come back to that because there are unusual ways that you can, you can bring love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance from different platforms other than just opening the Bible first. That platform gives you a place to open the Bible from. But the platform itself wasn't the Bible. It actually, in this circumstance, was me being a, a wife. So um, he started crying. He said, I'm flying back. I can't remember where he was flying to. He said, I'm flying. And the lady that I have been living with for 10 years is has moved out and she she found another place, and I'm going home, and she's not going to be there. 
And he was just crying. He said, I thought I, we were going to always be together. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, can you help me? I said, can you tell Yeah. I said, you know what? I said, this was the only place I could find to sit down. And God knew that you needed to hear that he cares about you. So he made sure that I got to sit by you. He goes, really? I said, yeah. So anyway, we talked a little bit. And I said, can I pray with you? I talked to him about the Lord. Can I pray with you? He said, please. There are people all around, and he's still just tears coming down his face. I, I, I started praying, and he grabbed both of my hands. We're not whispering. And I was able to pray with him, talk to him about the Lord, and give him the love of God. In that very unusual setting, Sometimes the settings that we give the love of God, I mean, this is an obvious setting. It, you'd expect to hear about the love of God right here. You'd expect to hear about it. But sometimes where people need it is going to be here. It's going to be here. Now, the reason I like that example of using a husband or a wife or you... Who you are, not just a Christian, but who you are as a woman, as a mom, as a daughter, as an employee, as a friend, all of those things are platforms. We have in, in this building, we have a platform, but who you are nat naturally, all of those things that you are gives you a platform. You can say things. Because of that you're a woman. Or it could be your job, that what your skill is. God will use all of those things. Let's, let's see what God will do in these days. And let's get really, really good. Let's get really, really good at giving his love from any platform you are. Praise the Lord. Now, we want to talk about, I want to minister to some people uh, today before we go. And then I want to just pray with you. A little bit ago, we were singing. Uh, Kim had us lift our hands in submission. Another way that you can lift your hands, is in receiving, is in receiving. In Hebrews, the seventh chapter, in the seventh verse, it says that the lesser is blessed by the greater. And uh, it was talking about a guy in the Bible by the name of Melchizedek, but uh, the principle is this. For us to always be submitted or humble enough to know that we need God. There will never be a time, no matter how much you know the Bible, no matter how many hours you, you pray, that we ever get to the place where we think, well, now we're spiritually mature enough that we don't 
need him. If Jesus, who was the most dependent, he completely dependent upon his father, needed his father, then we certainly do. But for fruit to be able to grow in your life, and all of these fruit, which are these, um, these cool secret weapons, it requires vital connection with God. So developing that, cherishing that, knowing what to do, that it, and you break out of, break out of um, just religious connection to God. And it becomes vital connection to him. My sister, my oldest sister, the one that was married, is married to Snow Peabody. <clears throat> she wrote a song that says, vital necessity. It's only you I seek. I'm longing for you now with all I have of me. The deepest part of you is calling to the deepest part of me. You're my vital necessity. So it isn't enough to just get to church. It isn't enough just to get to the Bible study. Initially, it may have been, you know, if somebody invited you, didn't even want to come or da-da-da-da-da. But to have a vital relationship with him, it's one you seek. You go after it. And so this that Kim was saying, lift up your hands in, in, in submission. That is part of the vital necessity where you're never smarter than God, <laughs> you know, telling him the way things are supposed to be and thinking, you know. No, you're constantly submissive and humble to him because then you're in a position to be able to receive from him and bear fruit, this kind of secret weapons in your life and for them to be there when, they, when you need them to be there. Yeah, it's this kind of relationship. Kind of relationship. So when we went to, uh, when Tony and I moved to Australia, there were, we found, we moved in a, it, was, it had been like a seven-year drought. And everything... Um, you know, it's kind of, I, evidently there are restrictions for water here now. Is that correct? And it was that way, too. You, they gave to every family an egg timer, and uh, a three-minute egg timer, and that was your shower. You, it was like, yeah, it was wild. So, and then we, we saw in every house, practically every single house, has water storage. A, a massive water storage and and a water drainage system off of the house that collects every drop possible, and so uh, the gutters don't just go into the into the ground; they they collect in water storage because it's so valuable. Not only that, then I saw on the drain on the downpipes there were actual um, funnels. That were up too, so it wasn't just the drainage off of the roof going into the gutter. It was also on the downpipe. There were funnels that were also receiving from the rain. 
amazing. I was taking pictures and looking at it. But it reminded me of something that had happened in Singapore when we were there. Uh, we lived there for uh, four years doing a Bible school. And I would run at night. Um, you can run at night in Singapore. The only people afraid in Singapore are bad people because they'll kill you for being bad. <laughs> anyway, I see you're not all running out the door to get to Singapore. But anyway, honestly, uh, good people live peacefully. Bad people, yeah, don't do, don't be bad there. Anyway, um, so I was out running one night, and I was thanking him for his faithfulness. Like we were singing, all my life you have been faithful. And so I was, I was running with my hands up. I was running, and I was saying, oh, God, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. And then I got to thinking about how I hadn't been faithful. Anybody in here not have been faithful? <laughs> Nobody's singing a song about your faithfulness. And um, so uh, I was thinking about some ways that I hadn't been faithful. And so I was thanking him because the word of God says when you're not faithful, he's faithful still because he cannot deny himself. Well, so I was thinking about that and thanking him for his and he told me this. He said, for you to be glorious to me, you actually need to be faithful too. Because you look like me then. We don't want to worship a God like, you're so good, you're so wonderful, I'm so hideous and horrible. Don't look at me. Look at him. The only problem is people can't see him. He's invisible. They can only see you. So this fruit of the spirit, part of the reason why they're secret weapons is because they demonstrate the invisible God. And if they're not there, who is it that we're representing? So... He said, actually, you need to be faithful. I said, I know. He said, put your hands up again, not worshiping my faithfulness, but receive my faithfulness. Receive it so much that it starts coming through your own life. And if people want to see what faithful looks like, they can look at you. If they want to see what mercy looks like, they can watch you. They want to see what kindness looks like. Not on a beautiful wall piece. But if they want to see what it looks like, they can look at you. I'm talking about the kindness of God. The gentleness of God. If they want to see what God looks like, they can look at you. So he said, put your hands up and receive faithfulness. And receive it until you can give it. Amen. You think about what comes out on the branches of a tree 
doesn't start on the branches of a tree. It starts in the root system. Whatever that, that those roots are planted on, in, it comes and then eventually it pops out on branches of the tree. Well, we're rooted in him. And if your roots are drawing, drawing his life, it's going to pop out on the branches of your tree. It just is. And it isn't like a do-gooder. It isn't like trying to be better. It's just fruit that comes. If your roots are in the right place, your fruit is always going to be there. And people may not be able to know or reach God. I mean, they, they eventually can, but I mean, they may not be able in that moment to know or reach God. But if they can just go to one of the branches of your life and grab a piece of fruit, they can taste and see that the Lord is good. From the way you talk, the way you look at people, the way you respond when people talk. They'll hear a conversation and they look at your face to see how you respond to that conversation. And when they see kindness instead of anger and disdain and disgust and loathing, they're seeing fruit from your eyes. They see fruit from your face. They see fruit from your smile. It isn't just being a nice Christian. It's actually demonstrating him. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Let me give you a verse of scripture. Go to Psalms. The 27th chapter. I love this whole chapter. But I... Verse 7 says, and this is uh, in the NLT. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. You know, once fall starts, then we're on a pell-mell run to the end. I mean, we're going to go through Thanksgiving to Christmas to the end of the year. It just like gets crazy from October on. You know what I'm talking about. Um, prioritize coming to him. Prioritize your dependence in him. And let's make this end of the year the most luscious where fruit is concerned. Bring fruit into your house. Even if people choose not to eat it. You don't know, maybe they're smelling it. You may only have a bite and throw the rest away. Just let the fruit keep coming. Don't you love that in Jesus' three years of ministry that we have in record, that he didn't get ticked off and 
pull the plug and say, y'all burn, just burn. <laughs> I've had it up to here. And if anyone could have, he could have. I came to save you, came to help you. Not acting like you want it. So, suffer, you know. He, there is that, there's that wonderful thing that no matter what people did, it didn't change him and his connection to the Father. And his connection to the Father enabled him to keep giving. Paul quoted Jesus. You don't actually see what Jesus said in the Gospels, but Paul quoted it. He said, freely you have received, freely give. If you're not freely receiving, you won't freely give. You can't. It won't be there in the crisis when something is really crunchy. You'll give a piece of your mind. Tell, I'll tell you what I think. Oh, yeah, that'll set someone free. But if you've got this all coming in, if you're freely, freely receiving from him, you can just freely give.